The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Pray with me in the words of Psalm 63. O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Let's pray. Father, this is our hearts cry before you, the one who satisfies thirst, the one who feeds and cuts our hunger, meets it, puts an end to it. You are the one we need. You are who we long for. And so will you now come and feed us, grow us up, make us new, Make us deeper and stronger with a wide, long, and high, deep love poured on us, pressed into us to make us new. Thank you for this. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for wanting to do this. Thank you for being eager to feed us and grow us, your people. And so now take your word and speak to us and build your church. Your honor and for our good, we pray this. Thank you. Amen. Anybody who's spent any time around a new baby knows that infants can sleep a lot, but not for very long. They're small, they have small stomachs, and so they can get hungry again pretty quickly. And when they are hungry, there is just no changing the subject. You can distract them and play with them and rock them for a moment, but really, we know, you know, basically, that little one is going to be discontent until food arrives. That's the way it is. And as such, they are perhaps our most common and most vivid experience of a human being, a person longing for needed nourishment. Needed, of course, because that's how they grow. They know that. They need it to grow. And while this may seem obvious, it is a useful point to make in regards to our topic this morning. We, we people, we gain a lot from food and eating. There's, there's a lot that comes to us. We, it, pleasure and comfort and fellowship, that kind of thing. But at the bottom level, food is for fuel. It's for feeding us, to give us energy and to help us grow up. And that's why babies need nourishment at the bottom level to grow. And that's why Christians need nourishment, spiritually speaking, at the bottom level to grow. And that's why God, in our passage today in 1 Peter, points us towards newborn babies and says, look, be like them. Not, of course, in regards to everything about them, not, not with regards to their wisdom or their self-control or their maturity. Other places in the Bible obviously tell us, don't be like newborn babes. That's, that's clear. But in this passage, here, verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2 in 1 Peter, the issue is one of longing for needed nourishment to grow. 
And babies model that characteristic for us supremely well. They know what they need. They know where it's found. They do whatever they can to get it. And they do not rest until it comes. A lesson to us all. And that's what we'll be considering today in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Let me read the passage, and then I'll draw out from it three observations. They're all going to help us to pursue spiritual growth as God gives it to us, feeds us. First Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 1 Peter chapter 2. Three observations. Here's the first. Spiritual growth begins with repenting from sinful attitudes and behaviors. Spiritual growth begins with repenting, turning from sinful attitudes and behaviors. Verse 1 begins with this idea of putting away, or depending on your translation, laying aside, discarding something, like you might uh, take off clothes and lay them aside into the, into the laundry. The flow of thought here begins with verse 1, and it's not actually a command itself. The command, and therefore the main focus, main point lies in verse 2. So this is kind of creating a context for us. It's setting up verse 2's main point. You can hear it easily if you're reading maybe the New American Standard Version, which reads, therefore, putting aside all malice, you can hear the setup. It's creating context there for the main point. Laying aside, it might be like if I said, therefore, laying aside these wet clothes, put on dry ones. You, you hear the setup and the logical flow. If you don't put aside these wet ones, you can't put on the dry ones yet. There's no room. But if you tried, the old would ruin the new. So you've got to put off before you, you put on the new. You have to meet the assumed qualification in verse 1 before we come to verse 2. So, verse 1, do you meet the assumed qualification? Have you put away, cast aside, repented of, that's you know, turning, the word turn, repented of all malice? Any and every thought and action that intends to and leads to hurt in others? That's malice. And so in a sense, really, that word could kind of like stand over all the rest of these words because all of the rest of them are different ways that we hurt other people. So you could put malice over the top of it. But he moves on. All deceit. Hurting others by hiding or covering the truth, lying. Hypocrisy. Two-faced living that hides the truth and hides who you really are and, and does so in... Not, not to help, but to hurt someone else, take advantage, to, to conceal and to exploit, pretending. And then he mentions envy, the, the resenting of others and the blessings that they have, which often leads to things like bitterness and 
frustration, slandering the last word, where I accuse someone of something, often behind his or her back, it murder them with words. That's a pleasant list. So, are you a malicious, lying hypocrite who constantly slanders others from envy? And I put it like that, and you're probably kind of thinking like, well, I don't think so, unless this is a trick question. You're not. I'm not. I don't even know anybody who is that, who is a malicious, lying hypocrite who constantly slanders others from envy. I don't even know anybody like that, which should alert us to something. He doesn't mean these words in the absolute worst possible sense. We often come to a section like this. We read words like that. You hear me just kind of quickly dance through the definitions, and we often put them in categories where we think of the worst possible way that word could be understood and then think, well, that's not me, and then give ourselves a pass. I'm not malicious. True. But malice can live in our hearts, guys, just, just the same. Have you ever insulted someone? Jesus clarified this, right? When you insult someone, you, you, with your words, you murder them. I already mentioned this. When we, we slander someone with their words, we insult them, we undercut them. We don't do that accidentally. We do that on purpose. And we do that so as to put them down and lift ourselves up. That's to hurt them. That's, that's malice. These words can be understood, in other words, in, in the absolute worst possible way, or they can be understood in an, an honest, realistic way. And then we say, like, ooh, that does live sometimes in me. We've all done these things. Maybe another way to look at it, to turn it around, would be to say that these words are the opposite terms of verse 22. They're all interpersonal sins that are the opposite of love of others and are instead love of self. We just touched on that in previous verses, the, the call to love others, to, to, to lay down my, my life, to, to bless, to give grace and to mercy to others. And these are saying, I tend to kind of turn that around and live for me at your disadvantage. So sit, sit in front of these words for a second here this morning with open hand, open heart, and say, Lord, is there something in me that falls short here that I need to address? with any of these particular words in verse 1, or for that matter, with anything else, because God may bring some conviction to you, even right now, with one of these words, or you could add in other words, because any sin list in the Bible is never exhaustive. They're just kind of pointing us, or telling us to think in a certain direction. We could probably add in words like anger, or obscene talk, which occur in a similar list to this in Colossians chapter 3. Probably add in other things as well. And so the point is, are you at the moment currently still dressed in such self-loving attitudes and actions? Behaviors that put you above others, or have you put them away, cast them aside? Now, I know I'm speaking to an audience of most of us here were Christians. And so in a real way, 
this, this hold that these sins have on you, we've talked about this before, has been broken. And so you have, in one way, put them aside. But they keep coming back. We're still fallen. We, we still sin. These things need to be removed so as to make room for the coming command. If, if you're going to put on something new, you've got to first put off what's old. If you're going to grab something with both hands, you first got to empty out your hands. Whatever way you put that, the call here is to repent, to turn from the love of others, the, the, the love of self over the love of others, and to turn to what we're going to see coming up, to turn to the Lord. So examine yourself. This is just the context. It's the precursor. We're, we're not going to rest here. But we have to start here. Or the rest of it doesn't count. The rest never comes. Sometimes we skip over. We look for spiritual growth and we failed to repent at the beginning. So Christian, lay aside sinful attitudes and behaviors. That's where spiritual growth starts. Is God poking you with something even now? One of these words, something else. Turn from it. Lord, I don't want that. Help. Okay. Now the second observation. Spiritual growth starts there, but spiritual growth comes from God's gracious gospel filling. Spiritual growth comes from God's gracious gospel filling and not just our strict, disciplined application of verse 1. God graciously does something in us and grows up spiritually. It's important to be clear about this because verse 1, and then we're going to come to, come to the third point here, both these points on, on either end, they talk about, they kind of point us at something that we need to do, but we need to be clear that at its root, this spiritual growth that we're thinking about is a work of God in us. I don't grow myself up. We don't grow ourselves up any more than we birthed ourselves. God does it. So, in fact, if you look at the end of verse 2 and you see the statement that we may be grown up, it's actually a passive statement. Some translations get this a little bit better than others. That we may be grown. It's God who does the growing, not us. Grown up to salvation. The present daily experienced salvation. Not the salvation that has already come to us and not the salvation that is coming one day when Jesus returns. But you recall from chapter 1 we talked about there's a salvation that is every day of our Christian lives now where every single day we are being saved. This came up especially in verses 8 and 9. That's what he's getting at here again today. The, the daily constant growing up to salvation that will lead one day when Christ returns to our final salvation. God grows us up into the P 
people, the person that he saved us to be. That's his work in us. Another word you could use might might be faith-filled sanctification. Think about this. A, A part of, I'm going to talk about longing towards the very end, but a part of longing comes even right now when you think about what does it mean to be grown up to salvation? Think about this. To be grown up to, let me use the phrases of the, of the previous chapter, to be grown up to a place where you are increasingly holy, and increasingly revere, regard the Lord as awesome. You fear him. What comes from that is is a life that is, as I walk in holiness, I am freed from the misery of sin. Sin ruins stuff. Sin in our own lives ruins things. And to, be, to walk in holiness is, is to walk in a freedom from the misery of sin. And to walk then in the fear of the Lord is to walk in a freedom from the fear of anything else. To walk increasingly set apart from the feudal ways, verse 18, the feudal ways that you got passed down from from the culture all around. To walk outside of the ruts where society says, here's where life is found, and you know it isn't, but you just walk in that rut anyway. To be set out of that and to walk in newness of life. To be set free from, verse 14, passions that controlled me, that were just parts of my flesh, that I'm... I'm actually not enslaved to them anymore. And I'm actually increasingly able to say no to them, to say no to that, and to walk in a new path with the Lord. To grow up into that would be sweet. To be set free from the misery of sin and the the worry that accompanies it. To be set free from debilitating depression. Now, there, there are physical, biological things that sometimes depress us, but all of us are completely familiar with walking through life, feeling like life has you down. Can you imagine rejoicing with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory, like Peter talks about in chapter 1? That's possible. To walk rejoicing with joy to walk conscious of and actually convinced that my hope is alive and therefore everything is for me and I stand right now in the grace of God secure and I am headed one day to an inheritance kept in heaven for me that is awesome and not going anywhere. That would bring to you an incredible winsomeness as you walk around. Other people would look at you and say, That guy, that gal, is attached to something else, somewhere else. Uh, He's here, she's here, and he is good to me right now. But I think that's because he actually has his feet somewhere else. He has his eyes on someone that I don't see. It would be winsome in your life. Winsomeness in your life. 
we are often far too content with where we are right now. I'm kind of muddling through, and I would kind of like maybe a little bit more of this and a little bit more of that, but it's basically okay. God wants to grow you up into something more. Into the image of Christ, the fullness of God. He is going to do that using something. What is it? By milk. That's what the verse says. Beginning of verse 2 now. So putting away sin, verse 1. Like newborn babes, long for milk. That's, that's the command. We'll come to that in a minute. Long for milk that by it you may be grown up. We're long like newborn babies, not saying that we are immature. He's saying that we always are like newborns. All Christians he's writing to, we, we constantly are like newborns. We crave milk. And by it, we are grown up. Pure spiritual milk. What's that? Pure milk just means not tainted. Not, not sinful or, or in, in some way Wrong, the opposite of verse 1. And spiritual, that word may sound to us a little bit like Peter is trying to say something like religious or godly or heavenly, not earthly and common. But really what he's getting at is spiritual, not literal. He means Spiritual, something that you understand in your mind to be figurative, a metaphor. So if I, as a modern American, were to use air quotes, that would be getting at what Peter means. Crave pure milk. Like babies crave milk, Christian, you crave milk. Put that in air quotes. That's what he means. So what's the milk? Some people have tried to identify it in one way or another with something specific, something exact. And in fact, depending on what translation you're reading, you might see the word, word, inserted into this verse to try to like clarify and tie the Bible to this milk. That's not exactly correct for a couple different reasons. But you can kind of hold that thought because we are going to come back around to God's word here in the end. But it's not exactly, exactly talking about the Bible. So... What is this milk? Well, remember the, the metaphorical image being built all through this section and the previous section? We were born again. We talked about that up in verse 22, 23. Born again by God, and now we are infants, newborns, being nursed, fed. Who's the mother? God. We're still being, we're birth and we are grown up by God. And so the image here is of, of him nursing us. And in fact, there are a, a bunch of, uh, there's a collection of early Christian hymns, several of whom have this very imagery in it of, of Jesus. The, the hymns sing of Jesus as uh, nursing his children, us. It describes sometimes Christians as being at the breast of Jesus, feeding, which 
and atomically, of course, doesn't make any sense, but logically, if you put that in air quotes, you can logically understand, I get what they're saying there. Jesus feeds us. Oh, that's common. That's, that's regular under, understanding. He feeds us, and he wants us to express that in, in a more intimate way to kind of feed this longing that he's going to talk about in a minute. So Jesus feeds his people. He nourishes us to grow us up. So what does he feed us with to change us into this, this salvation that we just talked about? Well, not, and I can't say this emphatically enough, not a greater, more clear, more fervent, emphatic understanding or declaration of his principles, his truths, his righteous commands, and his call to obey them. In other words, when God acts to grow us up, when God feeds us and delivers something to us, he does not feed us with the law. He does not deliver to us, here are my commandments, and I'm going to make them more clear and more emphatically press them in you and call you to obey them. The law. Understand, this is important. The law is for sure good. We need the law. We, we need the law given to us because the law, in fact, is going to clarify, it's going to, going to show us what am I being grown into. The law comes from God and is a reflection of who God is, and it's laid in front of us. This is what God's making you to be, the image of Christ. This, this is really important for us, really helpful. This is what we should be living towards. This is how we should be thinking and acting. We need the law. We need God's commandments. But he grows us increasingly towards obedience to those commandments by means of something else. It's important to understand this because it's going to give clarity to what it is we're going to long for in the third point. Do you know what it is that he gives that, that moves you towards, that, that calls you towards increasing obedience to his law? Think, think about this. How do I grow in faith-based holiness? That's what holiness is. I'm commanded holiness. That holiness would look like obedience, would look like walking after God's ways. How am I grown towards that? Not by doubling down on the do it or else. How am I grown? How are you grown towards that? How are you more inclined to fear the Lord and not fear anything else in the world? Not because he's going to double get you. Not, not ultimately. Something different. Something different works in your heart that draws you on after him. What is it? Do you know? Have you thought about that for yourself? 
What makes you, what, what would draw you on to increasingly not hope in the stuff in the world, but to increasingly hope in the promises of God? Not just the stating of the promises. That's what they are. What would make you trust them and not what the world promises you? What, what, what is it? Do you know? Well, let me back into this with a couple other just allusions to some passages. Think of Romans 12. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, keep thinking about that. 2 Corinthians 3, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into that image, the Christ-like image. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are transformed. Maybe think of John 17, Jesus praying, Lord, sanctify them, grow them in the truth. Your word is truth. I could add in a bunch of other places. What, what's the Bible teach us? Not just the giving of the commandments, but what are the promises even? What moves me after them? I am transformed when my mind is renewed. I'm transformed when I behold the glory of the Lord. And somehow that involves God's word. The truth. How does that all go together? Do you know? This is critical for you to understand for your spiritual growth. Put it together. You put it, you put it on a fine point if you want, like, like Peter just did in the previous verse right before our section. This word is the good news that was preached to you. I behold the glory of the Lord and I am changed. My mind is renewed and somehow that involves the word of God, the word of God that is the good news preached to me. Draw it together and I'll put it in a sentence. We are grown up into the people God saved us to be. We are moved to follow his decrees. We are moved to trust his promises over the promises of the world. We're grown up to salvation. As God, by his spirit, shows us the glory of Jesus for us in the gospel. At the heart of the scripture is this message of the gospel and everything else all around it is connected to it like a gigantic web. When you read the Bible, you are reading the message of God's glory, God's grace to you in Christ. And all of it, all of it comes all boiled down to, oh, there's the center. There's the bullseye. I'm reading less an owner's manual and more a love story. I'm watching less the History Channel and more a chick flick. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing something. I like chick flicks too, so I don't mean to insult chicks with that. I, I'm, I'm looking at something here that is not. Here's what you do. Here's how you stand. Here's what you do. And when you do that, it all works out. Yeah, but why do I want to do that? Behold the glory of God in Jesus for you. That's how the Bible works. You, it is. Do this, do this, do this. That's how it works out. There's what you're supposed to be. That's what I call you to. 
Why? Behold. When the Spirit of God pours into your heart, reveals to you, think about this, the glory of God in Christ, by which I mean the love of God for you in Christ. It's glorious that God loves you. He does. When he shows you, the Spirit of God shows you the mercy of God for you to forgive you in Christ. We just walk through verse 1. Did God put his finger on anything? Did you, did, you, did you get in touch with any malice, any deceit, any hypocrisy in you, any anger in you, any lustful thinking in you, anything wrong in you? That God has mercy on you. And he wipes that as far away as the east is from the west for you. Glory. When the Spirit of God pours into your mind, into your heart, the grace of God for you in Christ, that not only does he wipe away sin, but he backs up the dump truck of goodness, lifts the bed, and pours on you. Why? Because he's good. When the Spirit of God then pours into you, and that is not for this life, that is for the future. He's going to spend eternity dumping on you grace upon grace upon grace. There is an inheritance, Christian, that is certain, that is secured for you in heaven, that is glorious. And all the way to that moment, God promises you, I will be with you. I will never forsake you. I will walk with you in every dark alley, around every corner, into every hospital room, down every food bank line, through every bit of unemployment insurance filing. Through all of that, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When the Spirit of God pours into you the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the, the powerful presence promised of God, and the future that is coming, what happens to you, as he pours into you that gospel, what happens to you is you say, oh, I think I'm okay. Not because of me, because of him. That news, that food, that's the milk you need. And it's found here in this book. That's, how, that's, that's where it is. And, and it's in every chapter of every book. Every road in this book always leads to the cross and to the empty tomb. One way or another, it's all going there to the center of the web. So we read the Bible, we pick up the Bible and we read, we read about oh, King Solomon and the great temple that he built, and we're not reading history, we're not reading FYI, we should, we, by no means should we grab a whole bunch of charts and graphs and try to draw out stuff, we should think God promised his presence among his people, and he promised that when we call out to him, he will hear and he will answer. We see everywhere King Solomon in the temple, we see Christ in the cross and the empty tomb, God's grace for you. 
This book will feed you and will grow you up strong. It'll show you the one you need and his attitude towards you. It will fix, remember verse 21 from the previous chapter, it will fix your faith and hope on God. It will show you, remember verse 9 of the previous chapter, Christ even now and that you are receiving the salvation even now and that will produce joy. That's what God's doing in your life. He pulls you up close to him and grabs you in his arms to nurse you with this message. To feed you with this milk. It's the gracious work of God graciously pouring into you gospel good news like a mother nursing you. God does that. And yet there is a command here to us to long. Any nursing mother or anybody who's seen that happen knows that sometimes you just cannot get that kid to focus over here. so hungry and thrashing around. He's kind of like, grab the head, here. Some, some of you have been there. That's us. So often. You're hungry. You are in need. You are starving. And I've got what you need. Here. But you've got to latch on. Leads us to the third point. Spiritual growth requires that we actively look to God in humble hope. Spiritual growth requires that we actively look to God in humble hope. So verse 2 has a central command to us. It, it's long. Yearn for earnestly desire the pure milk. So Jesus, the nursing mother, us, the starving baby, restless. And he's there holding us and attentive to all of our needs. But we have to grab it. Actively look to God in humble hope. The command is long for, which I find to be a really interesting command. The command is not read. The command is not study. The command is long. It's, it's about our hearts. It's not in our power to make anything happen, but we have to long. And, and when, when we long, we will, we will take certain steps that, that put us in a place where we're, where we're open-mouthed and ready to be fed. What drives longing then? If he's, if he's commanding our hearts, what what, what drives longing. Usually, it's not just a command along. What actually drives real longing is some combination of remembered sweet experience that you currently lack, you have a need for. So we, we experience some sort of a, of a lack or a need and we remember something about 
how that was met, and then our hearts kind of take over from there. That's how God made us, and he made us that way to, to capitalize on it in this, this very piece of our existence, our, our need to be fed by him. The command is long for pure milk. And verse 3, if indeed, what he really means is since indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. A reference to Psalm 34, which is said to be of David when he was in the land of the Philistines having fled from Saul and then being chased out of there also. So David when he is in exile away from his home and is even being chased out of there. And you can skip through that psalm. Psalm 34 is one of my favorites. I'd recommend you, you look at it, but you can skip through that and you'll see repeatedly mentioned fear and enemies, a need for refuge, brokenheartedness, crushed in spirit, shame and trouble. David is living in the real world. He's living in, in our world, the place where we live. Look at that and see the need. Do you reckon with brokenness? Do you realize your life is, is a flower quickly fading? Have you looked around at the, this world around us and, and kind of noticed I'm an exile here. What that means for you. A world in which it, it is easy for us, at least at the moment, it is easy for us in America to kind of feel relatively comfortable. But lift up your eyes for a second and see there is a world out there that does not like us, that does not agree. Have you reckoned with that? David faced it, brokenhearted, shamed, crushed in spirit, needing refuge, enemies all around. I believe that there is good in the world. I, I do believe that. Let me say that, put that over here. But men and women... I think realistically, we can wander through the world and while you will stumble upon flowers, you will repeatedly bump into the curse and you will find here loss and loss and loss and loss and good and beautiful things and people who do wonderful things indeed. But the curse holds. And we can never find enough good long enough We are in need. There is some good news, though. Do you remember what was preached to you as good news? That one has come and done something about that for you. Longing comes from, I have a need in there is a place where that is answered. There is a place in whom that is answered. 
David was cast out of Israel and David was cast out of the land of the Philistines and the greater David was cast out of this world and even rejected, cast out of the presence of his father. The father turned his face away and subjected him to shame, surrendered him to the enemies and then raised him from the dead triumphant. And because of that, all of the hopeful statements of Psalm 34 are yours also. Yeah, there is heartbreak. Yeah, there is enemy. Yeah, there is need. But the Lord heard me when I called. The Lord encamped around me and delivered me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's, that's the refrain of that psalm. And that's the refrain of your life, actually. You walk around in need, but you walk around with one who answers the need. In that context, then, comes the command, long. Have you tasted and seen the Lord is good? Yeah, long. Long for more of that. We take note of the need, and we take note of the God who answers the need, and that then, the final point, you come down to, oh, Lord, Help. Help again today. Help again this afternoon. Come and meet me tonight and tomorrow morning. I need you. Brothers and sisters, long. Long for his presence now and long for his appearing one day. It is only in his presence that there is fullness of joy and only at his right hand that there is pleasure forevermore. And he will come and deliver himself to you and feed you with milk. And one day he will feed you with himself present for your eyes to behold. That day will be glory and until then long for it. Do not rest satisfied. You have him now. You can have him more long I find myself sitting in front of this, reading Psalm 63, re reading so many different places and saying, oh God, help. I am a person, I am a man, and I feel life running through my fingers, and I feel my words to be just, just so much sound. But God is God. And if we were to have him and to know him and to walk with him moment by moment, we would know joy inexpressible, full of glory. We would know freedom from anxiety and fear. We would know power in witness. We would know holiness. Long. Lord, feed me. And then with that attitude, open your Bible and behold the glory of God for you in Christ. Spiritual growth depends on our actively seeking him, humble, asking. Spiritual growth is accomplished by God pouring that gospel truth into us. And it's made possible in the first place by us wiping the decks free of other distractions and other impediments to run after him. For your good, people of God, long. Let me pray.
Lord, we need you. We need you like babies need milk. We need you more than babies need milk. So will you come, please, in fresh and in new ways? Each one of us in the room is in a different spot. Come and meet us. Grow us up. Thank you for your earnest desire to do this to shepherd us. You're good. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.